It's time to put on your sleuthing cap, feel nail-biting dread, and face heart-racing fear. This is Queer Writers of Crime, where you'll get book recommendations and hear interviews with LGBTQ authors of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. Here's your host, Brad Shreve. Hello, Philip. I'm guessing since you're in the studio that you have a book recommendation. Otherwise, we're just going to stand here and stare at each other through the computer. I do, Brad. I've got uh, my September uh, monthly book rec. All right. I was hoping so. (laughs) That's what we were here for. (laughs) What do you have for us? So I've got, uh, I guess I'll just say it and then I'll explain it. So um, I'm going to talk about Greg Heron's Murder in the Rue Chart. Chance McCloud Mysteries Book Three. You can't go wrong with Greg Heron. It's true, and I do know that uh, that you've interviewed him several times, and Justine mm-hmm. has uh, recommended a number of his books. But I really wanted to go back to this book for several reasons. So, first of all, um, I really feel like this is a true representation of the queer murder mystery genre. It's really clean. There's no question as to what this is. Myself, I first discovered Heron's work through his other series, the Scotty Bradley Mysteries. You've mm-hmm. read some of those, right? Yep. So, so Scotty Bradley, it was an eight-part series. It was published between 2003 and 2019. And for me personally, I think it may have been the first gay male cozy series I really celebrated. I just, I devoured each of the books um, with so much joy. Um, Scotty was such a great character. He was like a new age boy. He was a go-go dancer. He was a personal trainer, kind of a little bit of a drifter. And something that I really, really thought was great was that Greg just made him really, really sexy and without any sort of hesitation. You know, he had pot-smoking parents who loved him. He had siblings who loved him. And he ended up with not one, but two really hot boyfriends. So it was just like some so much fantasy involved in this really sweet cozy. Um, so as a result, I never really picked up Greg's other series, The Chance McCloud Mysteries, for a really long time. And really, it wasn't because I didn't think I would like it. It was just like I was so afraid to compare it to the Scotty Bradley Mysteries. Mm-hmm. So when I finally picked it up... it. I just was blown away because it's a completely different kind of book. Chance is a completely different kind of character. Scotty's very fun and happy and sexy and playful and very hopeful. And Chance is really almost the opposite. He's very realistic about life. He is a very difficult character to warm up to, um, but not in a bad way. I mean, he's just really, he's riddled with things like PTSD You know, the interesting thing with this particular book, book three, is that the book jacket actually calls him emotionally battered, which I think is really the perfect summation of a very complicated character and man. So Murder in the Ruchart was book three of seven of the Chance McCloud Mysteries published between 2002 and 2014, which means that Heron was bouncing back and forth between the three two series, which I think is remarkable and really fantastic. In 2008, uh, Greg won the Lambda Literary Award for Best Gay Mystery, which was still going on back then, um, for this book. So this book won him a lot of awards. So I think the most important thing that I can open up with when I start to talk about this book is that it takes place six weeks after Katrina hits. So that's like the number one thing you need to understand about this book is it's really about um, everyone dealing with Katrina. So Murder in the Ruchart has been called by the New York Times 
I'm sorry, the new, I'm so used to being uh, living in the uh, Northeast, the New Orleans Times, Picayune, the most honest depiction of life in post-Katrina New Orleans published thus far. So the book got a lot of wider release than maybe some of his other books may have done and really, really well deserved. So it's obviously it's book three, the characters have already been well established. You know, any of us that have read one and two, we know that Chanson has his inner demons. He lost a long-term partner. He killed a man. Um, and he's coming back to New Orleans, leaving behind another man who we weren't really sure what was happening with this guy, but we were hoping that something was going to happen. And Chance just leaves him because he really needs to come back to New Orleans. Um, New Orleans becomes its own character in this book, just like a lot of cities do um, in in fiction. And we really see the pain and the aching for all of these characters to get New Orleans back to where it was um, pre-Katrina. So his best friend Paige is a journalist. She was evacuated to Baton Rouge, but has been in New Orleans daily reporting on the storm and the aftermath of when the levees broke. So Paige has really been what I feel like she's been forever changed by this because she's witnessed it, she's reported on it, and she's been in the city every day since she was allowed to come back in. The other two returning characters are Venus and Blaine, who are cops. Um, they've also seen the worst of the damage and destruction because they've stayed. Um, but they've also seen, as we know from from our present day, as well as back when this was written, they've also seen the human damage that's done, been done by the police force, their own, uh, the people that they work with. Now, Brad, you know that I do like a good quote. So I just want to mm-hmm. quickly read um, two quotes that I think really sort of give the readers an idea of what Heron is uh, doing with this work. It's just really beautiful. There was a knock on my front door, startling me at first, but then I realized it had to be Paige. She threw herself into my arms as soon as I opened the door, and I held on to her until her body stopped shaking and she was able to pull herself together. I wiped up my own eyes as she picked up a plastic bag. She shrugged. I figured we could use a drink. So in this passage, Heron really melds like the thrill and the relief of the reunion that so many people had with their friends when they finally made it back, but also with the fairly first glimpse, not only of PTSD, but of people's coping mechanisms, which for a lot of people included booze and pills. So Heron goes on to explore the confusion and disorientation that Chance feels returning to New Orleans in this passage. The one litany that had gone through my mind the entire time I was away was I want to go home. I'd been to several places in my wanderings since August 28th, but everywhere I went, the places seemed different to me. Somehow unreal in a strange way that made no sense. Maybe it was me that was different. I don't know. So in exploring Chance's vulnerability and confusion, Heron digs really deep, allowing his character to sort of muddle through his return in a pretty messy way that I feel like absolutely in 2022, all of us can understand that. Because just like COVID has left this really indelible mark on all of us, at least for the foreseeable future, so did the flooding of Katrina and the horrific lack of response to save the people left. Um, Everyone who still called New Orleans home ended up being very confused, very angry, unable to focus and concentrate, and and just experienced a lot of sleepless nights. So Greg doesn't really shy away from really digging into all of this. So by now, a lot of you listening to this review might think, well, is there any sort of a murder mystery 
Well, you bet <laughs> you bet there is. There's like just a kick-ass murder mystery. So Chance jumps right into a case that he's been fired from as the storm was brewing over the Atlantic six weeks earlier. So he had a case that was introduced to him a day or so before the storm hit. Iris Verlaine, she's one of the very wealthy New Orleans Verlaine family. She hired Chance to find her father. Iris was getting married and she wanted the father who had walked out on his family when she was a child to be found so she could somehow mend fences and get him to walk her down the aisle. I know this sounds really ridiculous to most of the listeners. It sounded ridiculous to me when I started reading it. (laughs) But, you know, sentimental rich people can really do some odd things. And they obviously have enough money to wallow in these ridiculous desires. So the problem for Chance is that when he gets back to New Orleans after those six weeks, Iris died. She died right before the storm hit. So Chance's work for this project is completely gone. Um, So what he does is when he finally has a couple days at home and he gets up the nerve to sort of go out and start exploring, he tries to return the retainer and ends up wandering um, about the nature of Iris's death. And he speaks to various Verlaine family members like Chance always does. He's a, he's a good digger as a PI. And Iris's brother now ends up asking him to do the same thing that Iris did, find their father. So Chance gets snarled up into this rich family's web of secrets and lies, like all rich families have all these secrets and lies. And just when I began to wonder if the actual story about Katrina was going to overshadow the mystery, no way. So Heron really knocks it up a whole lot of notches, and we're really off and running. I'm going to leave it at that for this review, um, other than to say that there's the addition of a historical event which turns the story from great to really crazy good. And yes, crazy good is a much higher rating than than great for me. Um, So that's really an amazing thing that Greg does later in the book. That's all I'm going to say about that. There's also a love affair that happens before Katrina. Uh, They do some flashbacks of Greg remembering his former lover. And also uh, it helps us to really understand Chance's grief Uh, a bit. And then there's also a one night stand with a friend in New Orleans, which really gives Chance, I would say, the barest glimmer of hope that he might actually have a whole life again. So these touches I thought were really nice. There's definitely no romance going on in this book, but there are there there is some sort of looking back. And there's also just a very sweet um, sort of evening that these two guys have together, which is really, really helps um, because there's so much tragedy and so much trauma between Katrina and then the murder mystery. So I have to say, when you combine all of these things into a story that only Heron could create, you've got, in my opinion, really the best Greg Heron book that I've ever written. Um, I'm sorry, the best Greg Greg Heron book that he's ever written. (laughs) Um, And at the very least, it's my absolutely my favorite. And so obviously, I gushed a lot about Scotty Bradley in the beginning. So that, to me, says a lot. When I I did read this book for the first time, I just could not believe how good it was. And yes, Brad, it does pass what I've called the Shreve test. (laughs) Ah, Right. So that means what? (laughs) That means that it is part of a series, but it can stand alone. It absolutely does. I mean, you can literally pick this up and you get enough hints about what happened in the past with a chance. And you also get a real idea of the banter and the friendship between uh, he and Paige and also with Venus and Blaine. So it's just great. Um, You know, this story, it's got tragedy. It's got disaster. It's got recovery. 
It's got trauma, friendship, murder, obviously murder, and a tiny little bit of love, so at least enough to hope that something might happen to Chance in the next book. Um, So that is really the award-winning, what I would call hit it out of the park, Murder in the Rue Chart, Chance McLeod, Murder Mysteries, Book 3 from Greg Heron. None of this surprises me. Greg is just, every time somebody quotes from Greg, I know it's Greg because he's just such an outstanding writer. Oh, he really is. Yeah, he is. I don't know if you know, he was the vice president of the Mystery Writers of America two years ago. I did know that, yeah. They used to be kind of stuffy, and they still are a little bit. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that was just awesome to me that uh, a game. Yeah, yeah. He's done so so much. I mean, he's had a full-time job, I guess, for for money and for benefits for years. And Mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's he's worked in, I think, in... um, in either community health or specifically with HIV. And um, and I, I just read that in his bio every time. And then he's just cranked out all of these books. It's just incredible. Yeah. And he's continuing, he continues to write. I think I read an article, um, I think he just turned 60 over COVID because I had read an article about him sort of to, to prep for this. So he's still, he's still out there writing, which is just fantastic. Yeah. And like you said, writing more than one book at a time, I never can figure out how any author can do that. Right. They certainly have my uh, respect. I don't know what his his style was, whether he was actually had to, you know, had a Scotty book going and had the Chance book going sort of simultaneously and was bouncing back and forth because some people do that. However he did it, I mean, the series are so different and yet I love both of them so much. I just really have to commend him because he really found a really clear voice in each of those main characters and, uh, I actually will tell you, I'll, I'll give, leave everybody in, in on it or let everybody in on a little secret. I have not finished the Chance McLeod mysteries yet. I still have two more books to go because I'm just really savoring them because I don't, I don't think he's going to write. I have no idea, but I just have a feeling that both of these series are, you know, they're complete. So I'm hold, I'm holding on. <laughs> I'm trying to think when I've interviewed him. He's great to have as a guest. And the background, as you said, is really fascinating. So I suggest anybody go back and listen to the episodes that he was a guest on. And he has a blog that's kind of fun. I think it's called Queer and Loathing in America. Yep, it is. And he posts almost every day, and it's just stream of consciousness. So you never know mm-hmm. what it, it's going to be. And it's, but it's always interesting and sometimes hysterical. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. If you enjoy Queer Writers of Crime, let others know with a review. It helps build an audience and introduce more people to queer crime fiction. Apple and iTunes are where most people search for new shows. But if you don't use either, other apps that allow reviews include Podcast Addict, Overcast, and Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, help spread the word to tune in to Queer Writers of Crime.